Amen. That's awesome. We just sing of the song Amazing Love, and, and that song is so crazy. It says this. There's a line in that song that says, you are my king. So saying the statement, you are my king, literally is saying that there is a king, right? And, and then when we say, you are my king, that implies, the, the fact that there's a king, that implies a kingdom, all right, and, and then when you say that there's a kingdom, what is a kingdom? A kingdom implies that there's a set of like agreed upon societal norms, right? It's 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 where the king establishes those norms, and we live and we exist and we agree upon those norms, and, and, and we submit to those norms on a daily basis. That's what a kingdom talks about, and I love that story that we just saw right there. Nikki, actually, Nikki's pretty an amazing person. Nikki's been part of our worship team here. Uh, by the way, my name is Blake. I'm the worship pastor here at the church, and uh, Ben, man, just a stinking amazing job. I love that guy, and, and he's been helping out so much lately, but Nikki has been part of the, the worship team. In fact, she came onto the team just before this whole COVID stuff happened, right? She started to play regularly just before COVID happened. And, and all of a sudden it happened. And we tried to like really shrink down the team to just a few people on a weekly basis. But Nikki's story is not much unlike you or me or our, our stories. And, and, and in fact, it's very similar when we look at it and we say, before Christ, my life was defined a whole lot about what I wanted to do, what I thought was important, um, what, what rose to the top for me. And then Christ came in and said, I have a better way. I have something different for you, and, and I want to seek that. And I love it how she said, she said this, that, that, that he was pulling on my strings, but I just wanted to live in rebellion. I just wanted to keep like rebelling and doing what I wanted to do. And I think this is where we find ourselves so much in, in, in a daily basis. Um, I want you to take a little journey with me real quick. This is kind of a crazy story. Um, I'm 16 years old. All right, not, not now. <laughs> um, the story starts when I'm 16 years old. And it's me and my bro. And we're cruising down the highway, man. We're 16 years old. There's not a care in the world. And we're cruising down the highway in small town USA, Texas. And here we are moving down. The windows are down and, and the breeze is coming in and we're cruising and, um, you know, music's on the radio. Everything's great in the world. And we're just looking and, 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 and picture the scene, 1995 Forest Green Dodge Caravan. All right. Mom edition. Yeah, that's what we're sporting. That's what we're sporting. My mom's minivan. We're cruising down the highway, 60 miles an hour, and we're just looking. We're looking for our next victim. Who's it going to be? We're like trying to spot it out on the highway. Who's, who's going to be the next victim? You know what I mean? We got no job. We got nothing to do. We're just looking around to cause trouble, and we, and we see him off in the distance. See, we're in the left-hand lane. We're on, we're on a two-lane highway or a four-lane, I guess, we two-lane going one way. And we're cruising along, and, and, and then on the right-hand lane, there's the victim, a late model, a late 70s model, Nissan truck, really, really small. It was like a mixture between baby poop and rust in color. You know what I'm talking about? Like that kind of, that kind of truck. He's cruising along and, and we were like, and we're gaining on him quick because we're going about 60 and he's probably going like 45. All right. Our windows down. As we start the approach, as we start to approach this Nissan truck, we realize this guy's windows are down. Perfect. This is what we've been looking for, man. This is like our chance. So my buddy, he's in the passenger seat. And I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it up on, the, on this guy's car. And my buddy rears back. He rears back and he fires. 
he fires the world's largest spit wad you've ever seen in your life. All right. I kid you not. I don't even know. You know, like those sonic straws are like really huge. I think we were using one of those or something. Anyhow, the spit wide at 60 miles an hour somehow travels out of our window as we're driving past this other, this other truck. It enters in that guy's window and it lands smack dab in the middle of his steering wheel. Like we see this happen. All right. And, um, it, it, it was honestly, it was a good thing in beauty. Like, I'm like watching this happen in slow motion. I see this spitwad come out and it lands and I look up and, I, and, 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 and literally the guy driving the truck, he, um, it was like Billy Ray Cyrus, I think. Um, he like had the mullet and if you don't know that reference, you have to Google it later. Anyways, it's like, that's him. And, and, and it lands and I'm looking at this thing on the steering wheel. Somehow life is moving slower than it normally does. And I'm staring at this spitwad as it's staring back at me, like literally it's looking like the, 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 the ginormous pimple that arises the night before prom. Right. I mean, it's that blatantly obvious. It's right there. And it's like, oh my gosh, we just did that. Yes, everything is right in the world right now. Everything is exactly like what we had pictured it being. I mean, this is a thing of beauty. It's like a work of art. It's staring right at us in the face. And then sort of something changes a little bit. I look up and I recognize Billy Ray Cyrus is staring into my soul. And I think, why is he looking at me? I'm not the guy that shot the spitwad. It's my buddy. I look over to my buddy, and by the way, although he was my height, he maybe weighed 95 pounds. Um, I look over to my buddy, and he has somehow shrunken down into the seat, into like the abyss of the cloth, and he's no longer visible. I'm the only guy visible at this point. It's me, and I'm looking at Billy Ray Cyrus, and he's looking at me, and I'm like, oh boy, this is not good. And so I take off, man. I, I, I gun it in that massive V6 minivan engine, right? And I, and I, and I come up. But, but unfortunately, and I think we can relate to this, right? In small town USA, our highways have stoplights on them. And, and I end up at a stoplight. And he pulls up next to me. And I know what you're thinking. Like, you're, you're expecting, you know what I mean, for him to wave at me with, with not all of his fingers. And um, actually, that's not what happened. What happened was worse he, as he's yelling at me through the window, I think the spitwad's still on the steering wheel, by the way. As he's yelling at me through the window, I, I, I notice he's waving this notepad around with a pencil. Like, first of all, who travels around with notepads and pencils next to him? This guy does. He's waving this notepad and pencil at my face, and then he, con he, he continues on to literally recite verbatim my mom's license plate number. Like, I didn't even know what this was. <laughs> he recites it to me. He's like, hey, Mr. V674. I don't even know what it was. He recites that, and he shows me that he's got it written down, right? The light turns green, and, like, we continue on our way. He, he turns off, and I think, man, what happened? Like, everything was right in the world. We landed the, the, the most biggest spitball you could ever imagine on this guy's steering wheel. We're going 60. He's going 45. Everything worked out great. And then now, all of a sudden, it's not cool. And then I turned over to my buddy, and I punched him in the arm because he's an idiot. <laughs> but I thought, like, what? how did we get here? 
How did we get right here? Everything was moving like exactly as it should. The world aligned. Like, like you, you, you can't just do that. I mean, that just doesn't just happen. Like everything was working out. And then all of a sudden, here we are. And I thought, death is at my doorstep. Not because of Billy Ray, but because if my parents find out about this, I'm in trouble, man. <laughs> I, uh, um, sorry, mom and dad, if you're watching this, um, I was talking to my dad earlier. I was trying to remember this story. I didn't tell him what I was going to, what I was going to say, but I was asking him what year was that minivan? And he's saying, I think it was like a 95. And, and he said, yeah, that thing was a lemon. I was like, Ooh, well, it might not have been a lemon. <laughs> it might've been me. I don't know. Just saying, <laughs> um, but I, but I, I, I think we go through and we, and we come up here and we, we, we can go through life and we say, everything's working out good. I got plans and they're working out great. And then all of a sudden I find myself in, in a moment of confusion and chaos and where the world is in disarray. And I say, how did I get here? Like, how did I get right here? How did we as a nation get right here? How did we as a country, how did Arizona get right here? in this spot. And I think that there is a good, um, not only a good answer to that, but there's a good answer to how do we get out of that? And that's what I want to dive into today. Um, before we do, we have to understand this, and this is essential. This is, this is literally like the backbone of everything. We have to understand this and we have to go back to the beginning. We have to start in Genesis. And I know you guys have heard me talk about this before, but I'm super passionate about the book of Genesis because it really tells the story of creation. And I think we can learn a whole lot about ourselves if we just start there. And in the book of Genesis, in the first chapter, you have this account of God. Um, he creates the heavens and the earth and he creates this expanse and he creates um, life. God goes on and he, he creates life. He creates animals. He creates beasts in the field. He creates creatures in the sea. He creates like creepy crawly things and he creates birds in the air and all this stuff. And, and after each one, he says that those are good. And then he goes on and, and, he, and he creates humanity, humanity himself. And he says that this is very good. Right? And, and what's crazy is he places all of these things into what's called the garden. And this is key right here. He places them in the garden. And in the garden, we have to understand this. In the garden, it was everything needed, not only to have life, to sustain life, but to have life abundant, to have life on purpose, life and meaning. He actually gives Adam a job. He, he, he says like to go plant and to name and, and to harvest and grow. And, 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 and he gives us a purpose in life. In the garden, you actually have communion with God, the creator himself. There was no question of identity. In the garden, you knew where you came from and you had communion with that, with that being, which is God himself. In the garden, there was companionship and love. In the garden, God created Eve. And there was, there was this mutual companionship right there that was amazing. It was picture perfect. In the garden was everything that we could ever dream of, imagine that was good and that was uh, purposeful in, in, in the human life. That's what we were created for in the garden. We have to understand that because this is where it gets crazy. If you think about this, we've been constantly looking in life, trying to figure out how to get back to the garden. How do we get back to that perfect picture? We're, we're constantly trying to figure that out, right? 
We've been ever, everywhere and, and we've seen the beauty of God. We've seen glimpses of the garden and we're, we're constantly trying to, to figure out how to get back there. Um, but but this, is, this is where it gets nuts is in the garden, because God's love for humanity was greater than any other creation. He, when, he, when he went in and created, he said these things were good. But when he created human, mankind, he said this was very good. And in fact, in the, all, all creation, mankind is the only one that was created in the image of God himself. Nothing else was created in the image of God, but mankind was. Humanity was created in his image. And so here it is, because of his love for humanity, because of his love for me and you, he gave us the choice. And this is the choice. This is key. He gave us the choice. He said, are you going to choose to trust me to define what is good and what is evil. Will you trust me to make the definition of what your life should be about, what is good for you, what is prosperous for you, what is profitable for you, or will you take control and be God yourself? Again, no other, no other uh, creation that was created had the even possibility of being God themselves because they were not created in the image of God. Only humanity was. And so he said, will you actually, and in that, I'm going to give you a choice. Will you trust me to define good and evil, or will you choose to take that back for yourself? We know the end of that story, and this is where we've been over and over ever since. Humanity is constantly trying to define good and evil. We're constantly trying to define what, what life should be about and, and, and purpose and identity. And in fact, it, it's, it's, it begins to create tension in our lives because what I define it is, is something different than you define it. And, and, and in fact, if you go to a family reunion, you, it even gets crazy just within one family. Can you imagine? World itself. This is where we're at. And then we jump forward to Genesis chapter 11. Now, Genesis chapter 11, there's a really interesting story that happens. But right before that is Genesis chapter 10 and, and 9. And, and, and what happened was, it was the flood happened. That's a, a, a different story, different time. There's a huge thing there. But, but regardless, after the flood, you basically had Noah's family. And his descendants begin to repopulate the earth. All right? So this is post that. And in Genesis chapter 11, I want to read something real quick. I, this, I'm going to read some scripture. And it's really important that we follow along here. And it's really important that you guys, um, man, don't tune out. This is so, so huge. Let's pray. Father, we just, um, we're thankful today, Father, for your word. And we pray that you would allow this to come alive in our heart. God, help us to hear your heart through this. God, help us to submit to your word. Help us to have understanding. For your glory, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 11, this is verses 1 through 9, all right? Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. We're going to come back to that. That's huge. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and vitamin for mortar. And then he said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, 
they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Going back to verse 1, that statement, that idea of one language, that they all had one language in common. This is actually very, very huge and, and very essential for us to understand and even grasp onto in terms of where we are today in, in humanity. Because in fact, um, most modern ling- linguists, I don't know if I'm saying that right, L-I-N-G-U-I-S-T-S, linguists, right? I guess these are people who study language. Anyhow, um, David Guzik says that most modern linguists know that man did not actually invent language any more than man invented the very circulatory systems or nervous systems that run through our body. Let me say that again. Most modern, I'm not talking about Christian linguists. I'm just saying most modern linguists agree upon the fact that man did not invent language any more than he did the circulatory system that literally pumps blood through our body, oxygen to our organs and our brain, and it makes us think and makes us move and the ability to function any more than our nervous systems that run through our body to allow us to feel. That's pretty crazy. He goes on to say that language is so complex because language exists as entire systems, not just as little parts that are put together, but they're actually systems that are much more in depth than just talking. He says, most modern linguists believe that all languages, and this is huge, all right, check this out. Most modern linguists believe all languages come from one original language. That's literally what we just read in Genesis chapter 11, that everybody had one language on the earth. This is huge. We must understand where we came from. So this got me thinking, all right? And just follow me a little bit. My mind's a little weird. But I was like, okay, so if God is the creator, he created, you know, um, like birds and animals and, and fish and sea and and creepy things on the ground and, and humanity. And maybe his calling, maybe God like has a calling card, you know, I mean like a signature, he signs off on things that he created, right? And so within, within our species, with the humanity species, we have one language. That, that's how it was created. I wonder if like other species have the same thing. Like if God went into birds and said, hey, here's your language, boom. And there it is. And so then it got me thinking like, I wonder Okay, like we, I just got back from um, Texas visiting my family on the, on the Texas Gulf Coast and we see dolphins out there a lot out in the Gulf Coast and my wife is from California on the Pacific Coast and I kind of started wondering like, I wonder like if, if the dolphins in the Gulf Coast were to go around all the way around south and come back up and swim over here to the Pacific Coast, if they were like, hey y'all, how's it going? <laughs> And the dolphins in the Pacific Ocean are like, um, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> like, like if they would understand each other, you know what I mean? And I, I know that's weird, but, but, but actually check it out. I'm not the only, only one who wonders this. 
In fact, there was an article posted on June 25th, 2012, where this issue was, was actually discussed. And it says this, I want to read this. A friend recently asked me whether black bears in the Appalachia have Southern accents. <laughs> right? um, this is the article. I'm not even making this up. And whether they have trouble understanding black bears raised in Canada or Alaska. All right. The article goes on to say, is communication learned or is it innate in non-human animals? Can geographically distant groups of the same species develop local culture, unique, unique ways of eating, playing and talking to each other? And so uh, he proposes this question to a Columbia University professor by the name of Darcy Kelly, who studies animal communication. There's like people who study this stuff out. <laughs> so um, and this is her response. And this is so, so huge. She says, and I quote, in most species, communication appears to have a genetic basis. She says, research suggests that the overwhelming majority of animals are born knowing how to speak their species language. It doesn't matter where those animals are born or raised because their speech, and check this out, seems to be mostly imprinted in their genetic code. What? It's imprinted in their genetic code. Who did that? Who imprinted it? Like, who put it there? That's crazy to me. It's not crazy, like, because I, I believe it's just, just like confirms something that we know inside of us is that there was a creator. We have to start there. We must know that there is a creator, that there is a design, and he created us with a plan. That is essential. In order to know what everyone wants to know, the, the unknowable, in order to know the unknowable, we must know who. We have to start with who. I found it interesting that the language itself is agreed upon by modern day linguists to be something that man didn't just invent, but rather something that was placed into their DNA. We have record of this in Genesis chapter 11. I want to jump back to, to verse 8. So check this out. Let's read this along together. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Now, they were, they were building a city. If you remember back in, in verses 1 through 9, they were building the city to reach up to heaven, to make a name for themselves, and to um, like basically glorify themselves, right? That's what they were doing. And all of a sudden, they were dispersed. All of a sudden, all their plans were taken off. I feel like that we can relate to this just a little bit right now. Can you imagine that? Like, like all of a sudden, I, I'm taken away from my entire community, and, I, and I'm put in a different region of the world, and I have to learn new environments. I have to learn how to hunt, how to fish, how to gather in those environments. I have to figure out how to protect myself from elements, new, you know, you know, new, new areas, um, Guzik writes it like this. He says, families would, would multiply rapidly. They would develop their own culture and their own distinctive biological and physical characteristics influenced by their environment. He says, in the small population, genetic characteristics change very quickly. And as the population of the group grew bigger, the changes stabilized and became more or less permanent. So I think that... that we're almost like reliving this right now. We're a scattered people. We're constantly on, on mission to glorify ourselves. We're constantly on mission to define what is right and wrong. We're constantly on mission to um, make a name for ourselves. I mean, like, look, look at social media. It's so huge right now for this, right? Here's my stance on this. Here's my thoughts on this. Me, 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 me. 
And I use new technology. We're, we're constantly looking for, for anything, some, some structure um, to, to, to glorify our platform, right? We live in a world with the newest bricks. This, this brick thing that they were using, this is kind of huge. There's a study in this, but the brick and mortar system that they were using and, and firing up was essentially a, a waterproof system. It's the very same technology that later on was used for, for baby Moses in the basket so that they, he could float down the river without it, it being consumed. This, this brick, is that this was a new technology at the time. And you got to think, these guys just came out of the flood. I just wonder if they, they had lost their trust in God who said, I'm never going to flood the earth again. If they said, you know what? I'll just make sure of that. We're going to build a tower so high that it almost reaches the heavens. We become our own God. And in fact, we, we hear what you say, but, but you know what? We, we got it from here. In case you do flood the earth, we're safe. We got a place to go. Like, I wonder if that was, was going on. And so here we exist in our world with our new bricks, our new technology, with the very technology that honestly should be uniting an entire world together is used to constantly disperse. It's used to constantly say, well, here's my opinion. Here's my thoughts. Here's why I'm right. Here's why you're wrong. And it puts us against each other. The very thing that's supposed to unite us polarizes us. We create new subcultures and new points of view. And so I wanted to ask a, um, I wanted to ask a very dangerous question today. And, and, and please hear my heart in this. Don't, don't, don't take this the wrong way. Don't get offended and tuned out. But I, I got to imagine you're here today because you want to hear something real. And this is the question that I've been asking myself and I think that it's, it, it's essential for us to examine, at least ask the question, right? The question is, is it possible? Is it possible? I wrote this down. I didn't want to forget it. I said, is it possible that we are constantly trying to define what is good? Is it possible that we'd rather win an argument and be right about something and glorify ourselves, lift up our social media posts up to the heavens, make our stances about this issue and that issue known, lifting up ourselves and making a name for ourselves. Is, is it possible, I'm just asking, is it possible that even God, though God has promised to have our best interest in mind, that we only trust him when it aligns with our view of what that should be? And we bring God into our worldview rather than aligning our worldview in him. Is it possible that we want to be right, but we're not super thrilled about trusting God's view of what right is and aligning ourselves to his heart? Is it possible that much like Adam and Eve in the garden, a perfect garden where we have everything that we need right there in God, that we actually think we got a better garden? that we have a better one. This is so important. We're living in an extremely, potentially an extremely stressful time, right? There's so many unknowns, so many things I don't know, and there's so many viewpoints that I'm not sure if I'm supposed to have this viewpoint or that viewpoint. And when we feel like we can't know all the answers and not knowing the answers creates stress and anxiety and that leads to depression and all this. But what if we could actually know? What if we could actually know the unknowable? 
Like we're searching for it right now. We don't even know it. Look across the world. You don't have to be a Christian to agree with this. Just look across your neighbor's fence. I mean, look on, on any kind of media platform, social media or not. You know everybody is looking to know the unknowable. We're looking for answers. We're looking for reason, purpose. That's what's creating all the stress. See, before we thought we knew. Everything was cool a year ago when 2020 happened. This is my year, right? That's what people say. In 2019, this is my year, man, you know? And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in this, in this point of chaos, and, and, and that's what creates the stress. I want to pose another question. Is it possible that what we thought we knew before as a church, as a believer in Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you, church, right now. I'm talking to me as part of the church. Is it possible that what I thought I knew before was actually just idolatry. Pastor Justin, our community group pastor here at the church, he says it like this, comfort is the biggest idol in the church. He says, you can slap a Christian t-shirt on it and think Jesus supports it, but does he? What if the primary source of our discontent right now and stress and anxiety is because our relationship with Christ is actually a relationship with ourselves. Is it possible that we've created a cultural Jesus, a cultural Christianity? Again, this is just something that I'm, 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 I'm like challenging myself with this morning. And I want to invite you guys in to this challenge because I think that we need to be shaken. I, I, the reason because of all this, I, I, I keep thinking like, man, all of a sudden where I thought I was invincible when I was younger and the, the world was right. All of a sudden you start looking at the fact that death is a real thing. You know what I mean? When death becomes real to you, you start to re-examine, and I don't want to be the one re-examining after the fact, right? See, the thing that scares me the most isn't the physical transition between uh, life to death. That is a little freaky, all right? I'm going to be honest. But it's not the thing that scares me the most. The thing that scares me the most is what comes right after that. When I stand before God, the creator, the real God, the one that we just talked about, and I, and, and I say, like, like, was my heart yours? Was I yours or, or not? That is something that we're going to have to face. We don't like to talk about that a lot. Jesus says this. God incarnate says this, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In the end, salvation has one basis. It's not just confession. It's not just saying the right thing or praying the right prayer or even, I mean, Jesus himself was saying it's not even working miracles or doing crazy, amazing things in the name of Jesus. At the end of the day, it, it, it has one basis. It's, do I actually know God? Do I know him from a heart level? And does he know me? Am I known by him? 
So many of us have said with our mouths that like, I believe Jesus. I got the t-shirt. He is who he says he is. Man, I believe he, he died on the cross and uh, where'd it go? It's right here. Yeah, he died on the cross and he, he, he saved me from my sins and, and he gives me new life and eternal life. And, and, and we say that as if it's like some sort of fire insurance, but God himself, Jesus himself says, look, so many of you guys, and I'm taking this in, internally personally. He's like, some of you guys think you got it all figured out, man. And you're, you're just cruising along with the Christian t-shirt on. But honestly, every single day you live life for yourself. Every single day you take life back to yourself. I don't actually know who you are. Romans 10, verse 10 says this, for the heart, with the heart, one believes. I think it's interesting that he, he starts this off with the heart, not the mouth. He says, for with the heart, one believes. From when the heart, when I start with the heart, actions follow. If you, if you change somebody's heart about something, everything else is going to follow. Every action, every motive, every, everything else is going to follow the heart, right? You always hear that, oh, follow your heart, follow your heart. People do follow their heart, man. That's what they do. He says, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. My fear right now for myself in the, in the American church, in the American cultural Christianity is that we're so caught up in our cultural version of what being a follower of Christ is that we actually don't know what it means to be a disciple, a learner in Christ. We're more worried about projecting that image than we are about being his. We act like hell isn't real and, and heaven is where we all go. It's interesting about that, you know, there's a lot of things in scripture that talk about hell. And um, I know we don't like to talk about that a whole lot because it's uncomfortable. And there's a lot of different viewpoints on, on what hell is. But it seems like most people, most theologians do settle on this one thing that hell is an eternal separation from God. And I'm just kind of curious for myself. And I wonder this for our church and for our community and for our, our country, for our world. If, if that, that doesn't really bug us that much, that separation from God, because that's not different than our everyday life. Like my everyday life looks like that. How's that any different? I'm my own guy. I'm my own boss. I'm my own God. I built my own garden. I don't need yours. So what do we need to do? We, we, we have to connect. Do you understand that we have this longing? We have this, this, like, this, this, this innate thing that was literally built into our genetic code that we were, we were longing to be in the garden. We know this every bit of our lives. You don't have to be Christian to know this. You know this even if you're a non-believer, if you're trying to check things out today and you're watching this video and you got no idea about what I'm talking about, you do know this. You know you want to get back to the garden you know you want to get back to where things are, are, are perfect, where you had purpose, where you had belonging, where you had um, companionship and true love, where you had physically everything that you needed as well. Beauty, beauty beyond belief. When people go on vacation, other than the staycation that became popular for some reason, that was like a fad. But outside of that, when people go on vacation, like where do they go, man? They go to see beautiful landscape. They come up here where we're at in the mountains if they live in the city. 
And if you're up here, you leave and you go to the beach. <laughs> I mean, we go to see God's creation. Whether we say it's his creation or not, that's where we go to experience. And that was all there in the garden. We're constantly trying to get back to the garden, but we're using every single method possible except for the one that he lays out for us. So I want to answer the question today, or I want to just propose an answer. Can we actually know the unknowable? I think so, and it's super easy, and this is why we miss it. There's two things we have to know. One is who. We have to truly know God. We have to be known by God, and we have to truly know God. That's the who. And then the what is what are we supposed to do? Matthew 28 Verse 19, it says it pretty plainly. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If you're a believer, this is your call right here. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is what your life is supposed to be about in case you're confused. If you're a believer in Christ, this is your call. Let me be clear about that. This is my call. This is what we are supposed to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say go therefore and all social media platforms and post your view on this and this. And so talk about how you're right and they're wrong and all this. It says go Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. This is what we know. This is what we're called to do. In fact, this is what we're called to do so much more than just attending a weekly service. And I'm going to put myself in this boat, man. We are so ticked right now, that we can't be here together, right? That we can't be here and, and having our weekly service. But I'm wondering if we could just possibly take this time and challenge that thought and challenge that relationship with God. Have I been that ticked about not going over to my neighbor's house and talking to them about Jesus? Have I been that pissed that I haven't gone to um, the, 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 the local grocery store where I can go to Walmart and that's cool somehow? Have I not been that ticked that I haven't gone there and started sharing the love of Christ and, and of Jesus to, to everyone I encounter to all the ends of the earth? Have I been that motivated or am I just sunken in into my cultural Christianity of what I want to experience? Me, 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 me. So what do we do about all that? And, and I get it. I, I hope you guys don't think I'm just like trying to yell at you today. I, I'm not. This is something that's freaking me out. This is something that I'm dealing with right now in my own heart. And that's why I'm saying it like this, man, because it scares me. It scares me how much I didn't even know that I was doing this until God began to, and he's still doing it right now, like chiseling away in my heart to hear him. And, and, and I think there's, there's three things that we can do practically today. It's filter, examine, and trust. Filter. And this is going to sound so easy, all right? But just follow along with me. Be careful. Filter, be careful of the voices that you allow influence into your life because there is no shortage of voices right now. There is no shortage of sources that want to come in and influence your mind and your heart. We must filter. We have to filter. There's not an easy answer to that, right? We have to dive in to scripture regularly. How do you filter out? How do you know? How do you, how do you filter out? You have to know what, what God's word says. 
We have to, this is not like a one-time Google search. You can't just Google search it. You have to know the heart of God. You got to be known by him. If you're going to create that filter, you must be in the word every single day. This is not like do it and say, hey, God, check it out. God's like, okay, so filter, filter. Number two, examine. Be honest with yourself, all right? God, we got to be honest with ourselves. Am I really dying to myself every day? Am I really submitting to God, the creator of the universe, every day? I got to examine. I got to ask myself that question. Those is it possible questions that we talked about earlier. I got to examine. Filter, examine, and trust. Trust him more than the media. Trust him more than political stances. Trust him more than the American Christianity that we've all been accustomed to. Trust him as if your life depends on it. Trust him as if your eternal life depends on it. Because it does. Filter, examine, and trust. Filter, examine, and trust. If you want to know the unknowable, you want to know the very thing that everybody in this world is wanting to know right now, then you got to start with the who. Whether you have been 40 years into Christianity today and you're watching this message, or whether you're just checking things out for the very first time and you're just trying to see if this is even real. It doesn't matter. You have to know the who. And then you get to the what. Filter, examine, and trust. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your word, God. Help us not to just be people who hear this and move on with our lives, Father. Help us to literally submit to your word. God, help us to do that so much that it disrupts our daily routines, Father, and it disrupts who we thought you were, and it challenges us to a much bigger picture. God, we have to hear you. We have to know you and we gotta be known by you. Father, help us to do that. Help us to hold each other accountable in love because all eternity depends on this. God, we wanna know you. We wanna get back to the garden. Show us the way. It's for your glory, God. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.